Back in 1987, there was a news story that went all the way around the world. A little baby had fallen into a well in Midland, Texas, and rescue attempts were underway. Do you remember? Uh, the name of that little girl was Jessica McClure, and uh, she was just 18 months uh, of age when she fell into an open wellhead, um, a little well uh, on her aunt's property, an abandoned well. The well casing was only eight inches wide. This little girl fell down, um, and apparently her leg was above her head. She fell 22 feet before she got stuck. And uh, it was very difficult to get her out. And for 58 hours, rescuers tried to uh, get her out of the abandoned well. They dug a shaft down the side to come across, and they found that it was very hard rock and a very difficult rescue. And so progress was difficult and slow, but there was something that kept hope alive throughout all of those hours. Um, rescuers could hear Jessica singing Winnie the Pooh um, down in the well. This little girl stuck. They could hear her singing Winnie the Pooh. And, uh, and although she was deep below the ground, trapped in this well, I think Jessica probably knew she was safe because she could hear the rescuers. And they knew that she was alive too. And that the rescue was worth pursuing as long as they kept hearing her sing Winnie the Pooh. And finally, after 58 hours, baby Jessica was rescued safe and sound, and she's a grown-up now with her own kids, and apparently she lives three miles from where that happened. Amazing story. There is something very powerful about knowing that somebody is listening, and knowing that somebody can hear you, and knowing that they care, knowing that when we call out, somebody will answer. And that's what the context for our psalm today is, Psalm 4. It's a psalm I'm calling the God who answers. Um, so why don't we pray as we open the Bible that God would teach us how he hears and answers when we call him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you're listening even now as we pray. Will you speak to us today? Will you answer our prayers? And will you show us how to find peace in you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series, uh, which we're Dear is that we all have songs that form the soundtrack to our life. Um, songs that bring back significant memories, songs that lift us when we're down, and songs that inspire us and, and move us. And for Jesus, um, those were the Psalms. Um, songs that Jesus grew up singing, songs that taught him about who God was, and actually for him, taught him who he was. Um, the Psalms taught Jesus how to pray. And I think this is one of those psalms that he would have prayed at times when things were difficult. And so for the next month or so, we're looking at the psalms as the songs of Jesus and, and songs that are for us too. Now, today's psalm is sometimes called the evening psalm um, because it's, used, uh, it's been used by the church for a long time as a prayer before you go to bed. And uh, we'll see why in just a moment. But let's start at the beginning. Um, you may not have read the psalms very much, so I'll just tell you a few things along the way, a little snippet every week. Um, this one begins um, with a, a superscription for the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Um, so with some of the psalms, we get a little bit of historical context about the psalm. And so this one was clearly a song uh, for use by instruments, and it was written by King David, um, and it was written for the director of music. Um, now remember that David wrote something like 73 out of the 150 psalms. He probably wrote a couple more, but definitely 73. And uh, this is very cool. David was about 1000 BC. 
a thousand years before Christ. Um, so there you go. That's the context. Let's jump in at verse 1. And I call this first stanza, remember these are poems, right? So we break them into ideas. Um, the first stanza, I think, is just verse 1. And it's, I'm calling it a request for relief. In Psalm 4, David's in distress. And so he calls out to God in verse 1, answer me when I call you. Uh, when I call to you, my righteous God, give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Uh, David calls out wanting God to hear his prayer. Um, he wants God to answer his prayer. He wants relief from whatever it is that is distressing him. Now, we don't know what was distressing David at the time. We don't know what the distress was. In the story of David's life, there were all kinds of distressing things. He, he often found himself at war. Um, with members of his own family. In Psalm 3, the psalm right before this one, David was on the run from his son uh, Absalom. Absalom was trying to take the throne. and He was trying to have his father killed. So maybe that's the context for Psalm 4. We don't know. Um, there are some other clues, but they don't give much more information. So we can only guess at the real context, but perhaps that's why this psalm is so timeless. Um, we all know what it's like to call out to God in distress. And when we call out to God, we, we want an answer, don't we? we? We want to know that God is listening. We want God to have mercy on us, hear us and understand what's going on. But when we pray, we pray because we believe God can help us. We call out because we trust that he's listening. And so the rest of the psalm is really answering the question, how will God answer David's prayer? The second stanza, verse 2 to 5, um, the restless inner voice. Uh, I before that the Psalms teach us how to pray. In Psalm 4, I think a, a glimpse into King David's prayer life, and particularly into the way that our prayers are not always perfect and neat and undistracted. Um, in, as we read verses 2 to 5, it almost seems like David loses his train of thought. Um, it's like he interrupts his prayers to process the distress that he's feeling in his life. Um, have a look at verse 2. He was talking to God before. Listen who he's talking to now. Verse 2. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? He's not talking to God anymore, is he? How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and false gods? In the middle of his prayer, David turns his attention to the people who've been maligning him. They've been turning his glory as the king into shame. And this could easily fit that context of Absalom trying to take David's kingship. Um, Absalom and his allies spreading false rumors and falsehoods about David and undermining, his, uh, undermining him as a king and gathering factions to oppose him. Or it could have been any one of the times when leadership comes under attack. It goes with the territory. And, and imagine every one of us has experienced a time when we felt like we were under attack. Um, it might have been a work situation. Uh, it might have been a conflict with friends. It might have even happened at church. It's very distressing and disheartening when the source of your conflict is somebody else from church, somebody who's a part of God's family. But it does happen. You know, at church, we're not perfect. We're a hospital for sinners. We're trying, and we're trying to practice mercy, but it doesn't always work, and sometimes there's conflict. Conflict can also come from within your biological family, and perhaps out of all of the kinds of conflict we experience, this one is the hardest um, because it comes from people that you love dearly. Um, Absalom was David's own son. 
and he wanted to have his own father killed. And uh, I know many of us here have experienced my microphone. We have a tricky, tricky microphone today. So uh, David, it's no wonder that he can't stop thinking about it. Even when he's in the middle of his prayers, he can't stop thinking about what's gone wrong. And it's kind of comforting, isn't it, to know that other people's prayers are like ours. Um, they're faltering and they're distracted and they're passionate and, and frustrated. And David, he agonizes over what's going on in his life. He pours out his heart to God And he seemingly speaks to those who wish to harm him. Um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm a verbal processor. You know, I need to talk things out out loud in order to uh, to get to the bottom of them. And uh, praise the Lord that my wife is a good listener. She's standing down the back with a wry smile. She often gets to hear me talk or a situation, and um, and she sits there noddingly, uh, nodding, and and she occasionally asks a very pointed question. Um, They're excellent. And that processing helps me get my thoughts in order. And I think David might have been a verbal processor as well. Because in verse 3, that inner monologue, um, that inner voice continues, that, that restless inner voice, processing what he wants his enemies to hear. You know, he wishes they would hear him. Verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Of all the characters in the Old Testament, I think David knew very clearly what God wanted from him. Um, More than once, God had spoken to David through prophets uh, like Samuel and Nathan. Um, Samuel had had literally anointed David with oil and said, God has made you the king over all of Israel. And then Nathan, he'd spoken this promise, um, God's promise to David that his throne would be established, that, that David's throne would never be ended. And even when David committed adultery and murder, Nathan came and spoke to him and said that God will not take your throne away. And uh, God had set David apart as his chosen king, and, and God was faithful even when David wasn't. But perhaps in the face of this criticism, perhaps in the face of this attack, David was tempted to question the promise that God had made to him. You know, perhaps he wondered if his sin had pushed him too far away to receive God's forgiveness. Perhaps he wondered if God really did hear his prayers. Um, Do you ever feel that way? So I think David wanted his enemies to remember the privileged position that God had put him in. Remember that I'm meant to be the king. But I think he also needed to remind himself. Um, And perhaps you and I need to remind ourselves of the privileged position that God has put us in. God may not have spoken to us through a prophet, but he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who says you are loved. You are forgiven, you are adopted, you are set apart, you are holy, you are redeemed, you are cleansed. As in Mark 11, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Jesus hears our prayers, God hears our prayers. Now sometimes we need to remember who God says we are. We need to remind ourselves and we need to be reminded by words like this. We need to repeat them to ourselves. Uh, If you've never known that you were loved by Jesus, hear it today. You are loved by Jesus. If you've forgotten that you are loved by Jesus, remember today you are loved, dearly loved. Well, David's inner monologue, it continues in verse 4. Tremble and do not sin when you're on your beds. Search your heart and be silent. Do you ever lie awake at nighttime unable to silence the thoughts that are going round and round in your head? There's a couple of people nodding. (laughs) 
I always know when I'm really stressed uh, because that's when I find myself lying awake at night time, just unable to stop, uh, unable to fall asleep. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, then you don't need any help to understand it. Um, if it's not something you've experienced, um, I, I found this quote from Pastor Scott Sauls. Um, he writes about his experience of restlessness, and you've got the quote there on the back of your handout. He says, My most common prayer request these days is that God would give me a consistent, uninterrupted sleep. Because in the middle of almost every night, I lay awake for two to four hours wrestling. I wrestle with preoccupation, with self-doubt, with the dissatisfaction of unmet expectations and unrealized goals and dreams, with pressure that I put on myself or that I fear others will put on me with the burdens of the day behind me and the day ahead of me, and with the sense that my work is never going to be satisfactory or complete. Uh, that's not me at the moment, by the way. Um, but there are plenty of times when that has been. And you might be in that position too. Saul describes restlessness um, due to the pressures of his work and success. And some of us know that pressure too well. And, and King David in his psalm, his restlessness not due to his work, probably, but due to this interpersonal conflict. And, and we all know the temptation of lying in bed and fixating on the problem, um, playing back in your mind the things that the other person said and, uh, and uh, the way they made you feel and the unfairness of it all. It becomes this echo chamber in your head and, and the noise just gets louder and louder and, and you get angrier and angrier. Uh, the word at the beginning of verse 4, tremble, um, it's actually the same word for seething with anger. Seething with anger, quaking in anger. Um, this is anger that is barely holding back the rage. If you like comic books, this is incredible Hulk rage. David doesn't want to indulge in his Hulk rage. Look at verse 4 again. Tremble, but do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. David is to his enemies in his prayer here, but I think that's part of how he processes things. But I think David is actually, sorry, God is actually giving David the answer to his prayer in this verse. David calls out to God in his distress, and God says, you can be angry, but don't sin when you're lying in your bed. Don't, don't, don't sin when you're playing it back in your mind. Don't let bitterness get a hold of you. Search your own heart to see if maybe you've contributed to the problem a little bit, and be silent. Be silent and listen for God to speak to you in the restlessness that's keeping you up at night. Silence. Uh, it can be hard to find a moment of silence these days, can't it? <laughs> uh, in the world that we live in, there's the video that plays in the car, there's the, the television on in the background at home, there's the uh, internet constantly bombards us with noise and color and content and podcasts and news service, emails and text messages, and whew, it's exhausting, isn't it? But we're not the first generation to be distracted like this. Uh, even back in Bible times, do you remember Martha? She had Jesus sitting in her house, and she was too distracted to sit down and listen to him. She was too distracted with other things. And verse 4 is clear. The antidote to the restlessness of your mind is to find silence. Time to put away distraction and to spend time clearing your heart of the pain that it's holding on to. Um, giving your pain to God and doing it into sin, but instead brings that feeling of catharsis, that, that feeling that somebody hears you, um, that somebody understands. That, that's what happens when we have that time 
to process it and give it to God because Jesus does understand. He understands what it's like to be under attack. You know, remember we're reading Psalms as the songs of Jesus. Jesus knew what it was like to be surrounded by people who maligned his glory, who exposed him to a shameful death on the cross. And yet he was the faithful servant who was set apart by God for exactly the task of dying for us on the cross. He, he went to the cross in silence, not sinning in his anger, but instead praying for those who persecuted him, praying for those who crucified him, praying for his enemies, even in that moment of death. See, Jesus. And no matter how busy he was, Jesus finds time, found time every day to go and find a quiet place to pray. He found that moment of silence to hear what God would say to him. Are you making time for silence with God? Third stanza, verse 6 to 8, the last little bit. Reorientation and rest. Um, my kids are all grown up now, or just about anyway. Um, but I remember when they were toddlers, and, um, and you know they get upset about things like toddlers do. You know, they want to have food, um, or they, want to have, they don't want to have food, or they wanted a different food, or the, the food was the wrong color, or um, they wanted to eat it off the floor. You know, all the things that kids get upset about. And then phew, off they go in a tantrum. Colin is laughing because he he's living that right now. What do you do when your toddler has a tantrum like that? Well, you pick them up and you redirect their focus, don't you? Um, uh, oh, look over here. I can see a book about a fire engine. What sound does a fire engine make? And then all of a sudden, tantrum is gone. And I've forgotten what they're upset about. Um, it turns out as adults, we're not so different from we might be a little bit sophisticated, but redirecting and thinking really help us when we're upset about something. Uh, one of my favorite books about the Psalms is by a, a theologian, Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann, and he divides the Psalms into three categories. He says there's Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. So the, the Psalms of orientation, that's when everything is happy. You know, we're praising God, life is good, we can't really see anything wrong. And then the Psalms of disorientation, those are the ones where things just seem hopeless. And, you know, we all, we've all had little periods like that, some of us longer periods in life. Um, there are times in the Psalms when God's people have been taken into exile and they didn't know if they'd ever be allowed to return to their homeland. And so these Psalms that just pour out from a place of sadness. But then there's the Psalms of reorientation. And these are the Psalms where things start out badly but actually then the psalmist remembers all of the good things that God has promised. And, and despite the circumstances, their thinking is reoriented towards the good. And, and Psalm 4, I think it's a psalm of reorientation. It begins with David in distress. And then there's this middle section where he describes his inner turmoil. But then in the last section, we see David redirect his mind. He reorients his mind towards all of the good things that he knows God has promised him. Look at verse 6. Many are asking, Lord, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. It appears that people in David's kingdom were asking if their country would ever be prosperous again. You know, will, God, uh, will, will David be able to restore the, their fortunes? We don't know the historical um, context. Um, it doesn't make much sense to me because I thought actually in David's reign there was lots of peace and prosperity, probably only surpassed by Solomon's time, which was David's son. But perhaps it 
to Israel, everybody else was getting rich. Maybe all the other nations were getting richer. And they were missing out. Um, Envy is such a strong ambition. I know it myself. It can be hard when it looks like everybody else is doing better than you. And they're enjoying more success or more wealth or more leisure or, or more of whatever it is you wished you could have. But you don't. And so what's the antidote to envy? We'll have a look at our verse. It's reason. Um, let the light of your face shine on us and fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. Rather than look at the shiny wealth of others, David would shine the light of his face upon him. That God would fill his heart with joy even when other people had a good harvest and their wine cellars were full. David asked God to show him what's more important. It's more important the fact that God is with him, that he experiences God's presence and blessing every day in this lifetime and lifetime to come. It's, it's more important than those temporal blessings or those temporal pleasures. And verse 6, um, I love this, it echoes that blessing that God spoke over his people through Aaron in the time of Moses. Um, this is from Numbers chapter 6. Remember that beautiful uh, blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's the promise that, that the psalmist is remembering. God is wants, wants to bless us. See, when, when God is with us, we can experience genuine peace. That's what David experiences in the final verse of the psalm. Look at verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. David experiences the peace of God that transcends all understanding, as it says in Philippians 4 verse 7. He experiences peace that allows him to lie down and to sleep, trusting that God has got this. God is in control. Psalm 4, it's not a a magical cure for insomnia, but it is a prayer that reminds us that we can find peace in the middle of conflict. We can find joy in the middle of trials, and we can find rest in the care of the one who never sleeps or slumbers. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening prayer, this prayer that reminds us that you listen and you answer when we pray. Help us to find peace in Jesus. Help us to find peace in forgiveness. And help us to know peace that allows us to sleep at night time. Give us great trust in all the circumstances of life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.